The Blokebusters Podcast is a proud member of the Pod Bros Network, where you can find us as well as other excellent podcasts such as Sarcasm City, Worst Millennials, and Late Night Gamers at podbros.com. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of the Blokebusters Podcast. Tonight's story is somewhat unique and calls for a different kind of introduction. Today we are canceling the apocalypse! Wait a minute, wait a minute, you ain't heard nothing yet. And uh, this is? Lilu Dallas Multipass. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Houston, we have a problem. Have you tried turning it off and on again? Gentlemen, you can't fight in here, this is the war room. Now, where was I? Welcome to episode 113 of the Blokebusters podcast. I'm Paul, and today we're going to be talking about the film I Kill Giants. And I decided to get someone else along to help out because, well, listening to me talking by myself for about an hour would be too boring for everyone. So I've brought in a good friend of mine now. His name is Bubba Wheat. And yes, that is his legal name. And he is from FlightTightsAndMovingNights.com. How are you doing, sir? Doing pretty good. Thanks for having me back. It's uh, been a while. Yes. Yes, it has. Uh, nice of you to to come back and uh, what have you been up to recently well i i actually am just getting over a very long hiatus from my website where i review comic book and superhero movies of which the the movie we're talking about is one mm-hmm. um but uh i'm i'm about a uh, little over a month back and like i and over at Flights, Tides, and Movie Nights, I review comic book movies and superhero movies, and I'm over 400 movies in. Uh, I'm about seven years in now, too, so it's been a long process, uh, and yeah. now I'm back trying to catch up, catch up for about the year and a half I missed, and then I still got a lot of like really obscure movies that uh, <laughs> I'm going back to. Ah, yes, I'm, uh, also... The- main reason that uh, I'm interacting with you more now is uh, I'm going to be on that site, I think, uh, every couple of weeks, starting the beginning of the year, because we are going to be going through your top 100 list. And, yeah, uh, well, it's, I wouldn't, I don't like calling it like a top 100 list. I, my name for it is, uh, I, I like calling it uh, 100 essential superhero movies i kind of like to think of it as like the thousand and one movies to see before you die yeah i don't think these are the hundred best superhero movies but whenever you look at the entire history of of superhero movies and and this one it's also this list is just the superhero movies and not the comic book movies yes but um i i think each one of these on the list is on there for a specific reason either because it's actually really good or because there's something about the production, like, uh, of course, I got a lot of firsts in there. Yes. Because you have the first of this and the first of that. So th- those should always be included. And then there's a few that are just these really, the story behind the movie is more interesting than the movie itself. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's going to be really interesting. And hopefully our listeners will pop over there from time to time and see what we both have to say about that list as as time yeah. goes on. And and I, I think it'll be a good opportunity for me because since I am and since I have covered most of the major superhero movies from the past, this'll give me an opportunity to revisit some of the uh, more well known ones as I'm going through the new releases and 
the really obscure movies that nobody else has heard of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be a fun ride, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, before we get going into I Kill Giants, I'm just going to run through uh, the sort of nuts and bolts of our podcast and stuff. So if you hear anything and decide, hey, I want to contact them about that, uh, you can do it through Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So Blokebusters. You can email us at theblokes at blokebusters.com. You can go to blokebusters.com and check out the site there. By the time this episode is out, it should be up to date. Uh, yes, welcome back to that phrase of mine. I've stop saying that and now I really need to say it again because I had to remind myself to update the damn thing <laughs> and you can also go to patreon.com slash podcast where we have a little thing there if you're willing to donate even just a dollar a month it would be fantastic it'll help me keep this thing going and also I'm trying to every month or so put something up just for the patrons so if you want to check it out that would be very nice so all right and with that let's go into i kill giants so this is directed by anders walter it has a budget of i don't know because they didn't post it anywhere and it made in a box office worldwide apparently 183,754 us dollars so didn't make a huge amount of money in the cinema but I'm moderately confident that they probably made most of their money from home video sales or licensing and uh, distribution in the various countries. So I'm interested to to talk about this one because I don't think we've actually covered a film that has made so little having been released in cinemas and yet is so interesting. The, The Rotten Tomato scores for this actually are quite high. Uh, I don't normally look at that, but I was you know what, I'm going to see what they're saying. The critic score is 78%, and the audience score is 80%. And that doesn't happen too often where they're both in agreement. And mm-hmm. and the IMDb score is only a 6.2. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what we think and if we agree with those. Uh, uh, cast-wise, Madison Wolf is the main character of Barbara Thorson. And Imogen Poots is Karen Thorson. You've got Sidney Wade as Sophia. Rory Jackson as Taylor. Zoe Saldana as Mrs. Molle. And in a really random cameo, pretty much, Noel Clark is Mr. Molle. Uh, so, yeah, first thing I was going to say, just jumping off of that, is why the hell did they get Noel Clark to play that role? <laughs> because I don't know if you're really aware of who Noel Clark is. But, no, no. Uh, no, really? Okay, so in the reboot of Doctor Who, the first companion was Rose. And anyone that has watched the reboot of Doctor Who basically knows that Rose so far has been probably one of the best received short of Karen Gillian's character. And he was the boyfriend of her, of Rose up until a certain point and he kind of become quite popular in England because of that and he had a bit role in Star Trek Into Darkness so when he opens the door in this film and he's on screen for what 20 seconds mm-hmm. it was like 
wow, they, they managed to get him to do this incredibly bit role. Yeah, that's kind of random. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it's a very nice surprise for me just to see him turn up and uh, uh, not a hint of an accent as well, which is kind of nice. Mm. Especially given that uh, Sophia has the uh, quite heavy Leeds accent. So, so yeah. Um, so why don't, why don't you give a brief synopsis of the film and then we can get into our thoughts on it. Sure. Uh, so the movie's about uh, the, a young girl, Barbara, and she's basically the, the outcast, uh, very quirky, nerdy, into D&D and fantasy stuff. And she creates this fantasy world where she is a giant killer. And uh, as we find out, she is using this fantasy world to escape the problems in the real world as she is trying to get help from Zoe Saldana, who plays her the school psychiatrist and uh, she also makes a new friend Sophia who is a uh, uh, new kid in school and uh, it's I wouldn't quite call it a coming of age movie but uh, it's it's kind of about her acceptance of uh, the realities of the the things going on in her life as she defeats these giants in order to uh, accept the the problems that she's facing in the real world yeah and there's actually one thing I found kind of interesting about this film, which is that there's no point in the film where it is objectively shown that the giants are not actually real, mm-hmm. which is kind of fun because I know most of the film you could argue is kind of shown from Barbara's point of view. So you can yeah. always argue that it's just how she perceives the world, but there is genuinely a couple of moments where you do kind of think, could that have happened without there being this this being or other force? Or is it entirely in her head and there's nothing in the film that explicitly tells you it's all in her head? So right. I, I really did even, enjoy that. And they even kind of uh, lean into it at, at the end because they, they do have like the radio broadcast. And like early in the, in the movie, as Barbara is explaining these giants uh, to the psychiatrist and as well as Sophie, uh, she mentions that um, the the destruction that they cause is often mistaken for natural disasters. And uh, at the end of the movie, after she, uh, spoiler warning, the, defeats the Titan, uh, there's a, a radio broadcast that uh, mentions that there was this bizarre localized weather uh, that's something that has never been seen in that area before. Yeah, so that the- kind of lends credence that uh, it might have some basis in reality yeah and and there are a couple of shots after it's all over where you do see oh this this one thing was destroyed but everything else around it was left untouched and it perfectly fits in with the giant bringing the fist down so it's like what actually happened and it it was really cool i i really enjoyed that and uh one thing we, we should probably touch on it straight away uh, people that have seen the film Amongst the Calls, uh, which I have, but you have not. Uh, mm. They will hear and uh, probably think, wow, they sound very similar. And you're kind of right. There are very, very similar themes in this. You have the main character who sees uh, this uh, well, no, giant in Barbara's case and this one big monster in Amongst the Calls. And there is a sick person in the family in both cases and 
the idea being that the main character needs to come to grips with what is actually happening and what they what they know to be true but what they're kind of denying to themselves so so yes there are very very similar <laughs> themes there and yeah, to be fair they, they are both movies are adapted from previous works and technically the i kill giants um comics came out a few years before the uh, i believe it was the novel for a monster calls uh, yes. but the the movie for a monster calls came out about a year before i kill giants but uh, they they are i think close enough together that they would have been in production at the same time or pretty close to the same time yeah and uh, uh i know that the book for a monster calls uh, the reason that one <laughs> came out a little later than it probably would have originally is the person that came up with the idea of it had cancer and while they had cancer they came up with the idea and they were originally supposed to write it but they died before they could so the person that was originally going to get them to write it turned to someone else and asked them to write it instead so mm. that, that would uh, that could explain why they might, the idea might have happened at the same time uh, one book just got out before the other so it's it really interesting um, and maybe at some point uh, we'll cover a month of calls and uh, I think uh, I just wanted to cover it now so that we sort of addressed what could be the elephant in the room <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that and uh, just kind of move on and uh, carry on with the review of I Call Giants so we'll kind of <laughs> cut that off for now so, <laughs> so yeah what one thing I found interesting in this film is they really did, at the very beginning, throw down that Barbara is really into the Dungeons and Dragons, and then they mm. effectively forgot about that for a while. Yeah. It never comes up again. She just has that one scene at the kitchen table, and then around about half an hour before the end of the film, she goes to a shop and is setting stuff up in the back room of a game shop. And then that's it. That's the only time the Dungeons and Dragons ever really comes into play. So it seemed a bit of a random thing that they put in there and forgot to expand on. But uh, I, I kind of felt like it. It was just enough kind of flavor. It, it it's um, it's like a shorthand. It's like uh, you know, just knowing that she's into D and D helps explain a lot of her backstory without having to really expand on it or or give it a greater presence in the movie because Dungeons and Dragons is does tend to be a very social game even though I, I know a lot of times people who aren't familiar with it think of it as is kind of like the social outcast game but it really is like more of a social game because you play it with other people but Barbara is very much an extreme social outcast with absolutely zero friends at the beginning of the movie until Sophie comes in yeah yeah it's it is interesting because uh, I have started playing Pathfinder uh, this year, which is sort of an offshoot of Dungeons & Dragons. If I had to simplify it, that's basically what it is. And it's really, really interesting to me that I knew of Dungeons & Dragons, but didn't really know much about it. And since playing this, I've been more interested in that world and seeing how it's viewed and I know it's becoming more mainstream now because there's been a lot of celebrities that have come out and talked about it. But yeah, I mean, it's even like a, it's a major plot. Well, not D and D specifically, but basically a generic version of D and D is a major plot point in the current season of Riverdale. 
Ah, okay. I did not know that. I've yeah. not been watching Riverdale, so... Yeah, they, they call it griffins and gargoyles. Of course they do. <laughs> yes, because I'm sure somebody would sue if they didn't. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was interesting to kind of see that thrown in, and I was expecting, just based on stigma and stuff like that, I was expecting there to be some form of derogatory thing made about it or anything like that, and they don't at all. So that was kind of nice to see. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not sure where... You would want to start with this, but uh, the the main thing I wanted to take away from this is that Madison Wolf is phenomenal in this film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She, she was outstanding. She she had so many things that she had to do, and so many scenes that she just had to play in a way that wouldn't be something that any let's say uh, normally adjusted. A regularly adjusted person would understand and yeah uh, and, for... and i think that's i think that barbara is just such a fascinating character just in general because she is like this this social outcast this nerd but she really goes against type because she just exudes confidence it's like she may be the social outcast but she is 100 percent confident in what she's doing even though what she's doing, everybody else thinks is completely weird. <laughs> yes, and because it is. Uh, but, but yeah, it, it's so weird. She's not someone that, if you genuinely try and think about it, she's not someone that would be someone that you would anticipate to be like a main character or even someone that you're supposed to be behind because there are several things that she does that you're just, you don't agree with. Even though you eventually come to understand her, there are many times where she'll do something and you know, because you know, we're able to read it and we know what's to be expected, that what she does is kind of detrimental to her in the long run. But as you said, she doesn't care. She's firmly locked into her mission. And if it doesn't go into her mission, she doesn't care. And that's something that I, I found kind of refreshing. Is that this is this character that come hell or high water will continue on doing what she's doing because she firmly believes she's right, even if it doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, yeah. And, and I think, and I really like how this movie, it's, it, it, I feel like it has a very slow reveal of everything. It does, and it, it just jumps you in like straight into the middle of this world, and it doesn't tell you really anything. I I think. Like, I didn't time it, but if I had to guess, uh, I would say we don't even learn Barbara's first name until about a half hour into the movie. Yeah, yeah, she she intentionally doesn't answer when Sophia asks for her name, and it's only when another character ends up saying it that mm. you find out, oh, that's her name. And, yeah. so, like, we don't find out more about the giants until she begins to tell until she begins to open up to Sophie and, and as well as the, her psychiatrist. Uh, we don't really understand her family dynamic right away. And uh, I, I think it's great that even as we get in towards the middle of the movie and we start to understand more of what's going on, the movie even still like uh, it, it physically like mutes the word mother whenever uh, characters are, are trying to get her to face the the reality of of her sick mother 
Yeah, I mean, that was something that I really enjoyed in that you didn't know that her mother was alive Mm -hmm. until about 20 minutes before the end of the film when the psychiatrist specifically states that your mother wants to see you. And that's the only time when you realize that, oh, it wasn't just an empty room that she couldn't bear to go to because her mother died, which is the initial implication and what you take from it just because there's no parent figure and everyone is no parents and the older sister is taking on the uh, the maternal responsibility yeah yeah it's just it's so interesting that i didn't even think that that was a possibility i just assumed again based on the stuff that was heavily implied that this is just how it is there's that room in the house that has been left exactly as it was when the mother died and she can't bring herself to accept that she's gone. And yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I did personally realize that the mother was sick or earlier than that, uh, but I didn't think that she was still living at home. Uh, my, like, I, I had a little bit more reasoning in, into it because, like, uh, obviously you're shown that, uh, that the older sister is the one taking care of the household and she's struggling um, with, She's played by Imogen Poots, and and uh, she seems to be like uh, you know very young still, like uh, maybe nineteen twenty. Uh, it's not really clear exactly how old she is, other than you know that she's just working basically a a low paying job, and she's not going to school. I don't believe. No, I'm fairly certain she would have left school at this point, and she seemed to be working as many hours as possible. Mm. But I also got the impression that she might have been too young to have taken custody of the uh, of Barbara and her brother. So unless the at least one of the parents was still alive. So that's why I thought that they were just sick. Yeah, I was saying I didn't I didn't know. I kind of assumed that depending on how old the sibling is because I think unless I have it wrong, I think eighteen would be old enough for someone to be able to adopt their siblings in a you know in a worst case scenario. So, uh, but but yeah, I didn't think too much into it because I was more trying to focus on Barbara and trying to get a read on her as a character. So yeah, and again, I really enjoy that. There's been so many times where films have just followed a pattern. Whether because that's just the way that stories go or because it's a thing that you just do with this type of story. So I was really enjoying the fact that I was able to sit back and immerse myself in this world and not actually know exactly what was going to happen. Yeah, and and I think that this does, this movie does dodge a lot of cliches with these types of coming of age movies as well because just some of the little things that it does. Like we we have the the overstressed uh, older older sister who's trying to take care of the house, and a lot of times, uh, a lot of it, the I think the cliche would be that she just would wouldn't care as much because she'd be too stressed out. But this movie shows that she's still taking steps to try and connect with Barbara. Like she she said like early on she says that she would play D and D with her if. Uh, if Barbara would let her. And there are a couple other instances throughout the movie where she does that. And um, 
And another thing um, we haven't talked about the bully yet, but I think the way that the bully is handled is very interesting as well, because and and especially like these days, bullying is such a controversial subject because it, it's being taken a lot more seriously. And in, in this movie, like the bullying, it's not just completely ignored by the adults like it would be in older movies. It's actually a she the bully suffers legitimate consequences for her bully. Yeah. Yeah. And it was it was interesting to to watch as well because it was clear to me that the bully is obviously being a bully and hates Barbara, but there were a couple of shots where it just kinda of lingered on her and you could tell that even though the bully was and okay, the bully's name is Taylor, so so I don't just keep saying bully. But even though Taylor clearly was just trying to hurt Barbara, she wasn't fully sure why she was doing it, or she wasn't fully sure that, that this was exactly what she wanted to do, but it was just she was just like, Oh, I hate her, so therefore I got to do this. But you could see some genuine like some angst and some unsureness just on her face as she was doing some of these things to her she was thinking about them so it, it was kind of fun to see it was uh and obviously she was playing the bully role so a large part of it is her being very anti-barbara but uh mm-hmm. it, it was fun that they they did have those moments of oh maybe she isn't just a bully maybe maybe she does have all of these feelings underneath but she's just yeah, she so hates Barbara for being a freak uh, in her yeah, eyes. And, and I also think it's interesting that that she is like a she's a physical bully. She's not because in, in a lot of a lot of times whenever you're dealing with uh, uh, school age girls, you get the the girl bullying that you uh, bullies with gossip and rumors and and manipulation. But uh, Taylor actually is more of a physical bully, and and in fact, something that I didn't even really put together until after watching the movie and looking into it more is this movie has a it, it's almost entirely a female cast yeah there's only a, a couple very small roles played by men and they only get just a couple lines throughout the entire movie yeah very much but it doesn't feel like you're watching like a chick flick like I, i've i feel like pretty much any of the characters um could be replaced with a man and and it wouldn't change the character at all yeah pretty much uh and the, the only one that, that wouldn't be the case for i suppose would be the psychiatrist just because you know, she's the the overworked new mother type thing so uh but yeah that, that would only change one small aspect of it so mm-hmm. yeah it's it's it kind of fun and uh i mentioned it briefly before we were recording but yeah the the male characters it's interesting because you've got the principal who i don't know is on screen for maybe a minute in total uh you've mm-hmm. got the the psychiatrist husband as i said played by uh played, <clears throat> played by noel clark who is barely in it and then you've got their brother who mm-hmm. is in like, it yeah, right at the beginning like three lines at the beginning and that's about it yeah i think you see him again halfway through and he's clearly upset at what's going on when there's an argument between Barbara and Karen and then not only do you not see him again 
you don't even see him at the funeral scene at the end. He's not there. So, so I, I genuinely don't know if they weren't able to get him for the day or if it was just that genuinely his character kind of wasn't necessary just at that point of the film because clearly by the end Barbara is uh, re- repairing her relationship with her sister. So that's what they focused on for that shot. So, but yeah, I don't know, it was it was kind of fun that this film is just filled with wonderful female performances, and you don't, as you say, you don't even think about the fact that that's all you get for the film mm-hmm. uh, until you you try and think back on it later. So yeah, yeah, I, I, there isn't any, uh, there's no like a shoehorned love interest or, or anything like that, and. And also, like, I kind of appreciate the fact that it's not so much a coming-of-age movie. At least I don't think of it in that way because, I, like, Barbara does grow, but she does, I don't feel like she's really growing up. It's just all about acceptance. Yeah, and it's, and that's the thing. I, I would say you're right that it's not really a coming-of-age film, but it definitely is a emotional maturity type thing where this character clearly has the the psychological issues that have not been dealt with because you know, clearly she's not going to take herself to a psychiatrist because she doesn't feel like she needs it. And there's no one in her family who would be able to take the time to do that. So she has been left to create this world for herself. And, and now she's reached the point where she genuinely needs to address it or everything's going to be destroyed and mm-hmm. she doesn't she just doesn't realize what will be destroyed if she doesn't fix it so it was it was right, fun to I, see that and yeah I, I think it's it's interesting because you can look and i didn't even really think about this in these terms until just now but the fact that uh, i mean obviously the whole giants thing is a mem- metaphor and it's and we get to see it in in a few different ways too, because not a it's initially we think that it's uh, it's giants and titans because she's into D and D and and fantasy and myths and legends, but we also find that it's it's also because of this connection that she has with her mother uh, about watching um, this old baseball game, this like very classic baseball game with uh the giants uh, and it was uh, playing against the giants and uh one of the baseball players uh kaminsky was it uh kovaleski kovaleski uh he was um because uh, i think it was like the world series or something like that uh he got the nickname the giant killer because they defeated the giants in that game and so that it takes on you know a more um, another meaning besides just the fantasy elements because it, it's this connection with her mother and you also think that it's that in her mind she thinks that like once you realize that it's about the mother's sickness you think that her killing the giants is going to kill her mother's sickness but in reality def- whenever she defeats the titan she defeats basically the um her anxiety towards dealing with the sickness yeah and it's it's fun as well because there's one point in the film when she is talking to i i believe it when she's talking to the psychiatrist 
when she states that giants are just hate and they it's not enough for them to just destroy they take and it's this thing of clearly she at a very basic level deep down she fully understands what's going on and she knows what she's running from but she just she cannot bring herself to to fully understand it and embrace it and so that that is why these giants for her are turning up although again as i said at the beginning possibly they actually are there (laughs) and somehow this whole thing is just a giant coincidence but but yeah it was really fun to to have that as you said at the beginning actually to have it very very slowly revealed how all Mm. of these things are interconnected and to also realize that the things that we have heard and seen earlier in the film actually would give it away if we just knew a little more so we we heard part of her tapes of her listening to this baseball game and so we we hear this and we hear her listening to that and it's only later in the film when we hear the beginning of the tapes so we fully understand the context of it and that is something that i always enjoy when a film doesn't spoon feed you all of this information yeah by the way here you go this is what you need to know now go on go play i guess no i i'd rather i'd rather come about this in a more natural way and that's what this film really felt to me it just felt like a a natural progression a natural telling of this story rather than the the more hollywood way of well, we know you don't want to wait an hour and 10 minutes to find out a major plot point, so we're going to give it to you in 20. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, something that we haven't talked about too much, uh, I mean, this this is a fairly simple story, and it's presented in a fairly simple way, but the actual giants themselves, and, and there's two giants, and then there's the harbingers, are all CGI creations. And I, I think on what seems to be... A, a more indie movie and probably um, a lower budget movie. Uh, I, I think that the work done on all the CGI creatures is is pretty good. I, I know, like the forest giant in general, is typically kept in like behind fog and we don't get a clear look at him. But uh, I, I think whenever we get to the battle with the Titan and we see that in, in clear view, I think that looks really great. And I, I think the Harbingers look pretty great as well. Yeah, yeah, really cool. The uh, the poster for I Kill Giants shows you, it actually shows you the Titan at the end, although obviously we don't know that. Uh, but it, it, I saw that poster and I was like, wow, that looks really cool. I, yeah, I wonder what it'll look like when they're actually there on screen. And looking at it, it was so well done and they were able to make it really look like it was actually there. And that is something that is so, so difficult to do nowadays. Even with modern technology and stuff like that, you see all of these huge budget films that they have all of the CGI and let's say 70% of the CGI is fantastic. And then you still have just these moments where it's like, well, that's clearly not real. Well, that could have, you know, that could have used an extra couple of days of rendering before you, <laughs> before you finish that bit of film. Yeah, but, I think, yeah. Yeah. People would be quick to point fingers. Uh, I think at Justice League as, as a as a good example of that. Well, yeah, um, 
and I, I remember in the review that uh, myself and Brian did of that film, the possibly the worst CDI in that film is when they're on the helicopters going towards the city, and it really looks like they just didn't render it. It, it looks awful, and it's like, you put how much money into this film and you ended up with CGI this bad? And then you have this film with no budget that I can find and barely a box office, but it's not like the studio reported any losses. I can't find any like, stuff like that. So this is a studio that just like, put their time and effort into it, and it looks fantastic. I, I would... If I had to guess... I would say that this would probably be like maybe a $20 million movie. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking. And I, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a little less and some of the people in it took less than they could have for it just because of the type of film that it is. And I feel like some people would be like, you know what, I'm I'm willing to do this because I really like the idea. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I feel like that's what it feels like to me. But the CGI... It was it was really up there. Like I, I almost felt sort of Pacific Rim level of CGI when, especially with the water and the monster in the water and stuff like that. It really felt of the same level as the the Jaeger monster fight in the harbor, which uh, I don't know how many people can remember that that well, but that looks hard to do. So yeah, uh, yeah. I I feel like this is one of those films that I could easily. You know, a couple of times a year, just sit down, and just put on again because it's something that I can I can rewatch the the journey that Barbara goes on. I could rewatch everything, just trying to be like, oh, so now that I know the end of the film, and now that I know everything that she's actually going through, I can pick up on all the little things that I might have missed. Uh, and yeah, I, I also like if we haven't really talked much about the the friendship between Sophie and Barbara. Which I, I think it feels like a very realistic friendship as well. Oh yeah, yeah definitely. And uh, I, I specifically enjoyed there was one line where Sophia asked to sit next to Barbara on the bus, and she says, "You know, you're my, you're my only friend in America." And it's like that, that was such a great line, it's such a great little thing, and it, it is something that it's something I would have said. Yeah, if, if I moved over and I met someone, I'd be like, you're the only person I know in this entire country. Like, you know, can I sit next to you, please? And, yeah, and then she doesn't. And she doesn't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, just, it's such a great moment because, like, you know, Sophia is gravitating towards this this one person just because they live close to each other. And, and I'm sure she can kind of tell, I'm sure she gets the impression almost immediately that Barbara doesn't have a lot of friends either. So I, I feel like Sophia thinks that the, that it should be easier for her to connect. And then they ended up, they end up eventually developing a more real friendship. And then they also, they have their ups and downs. Like I, I kind of like the, uh, like after their first kind of fight early on, it's like, are we still friends? And then it's like the little note, the, the check mark boxes for yes or no. <laughs> Yeah, that that was interesting. I I don't know if I've if I remember a time when I had that myself at school, but I do know that that's you know, in American TV and film that seemed to be something that uh, always happened at uh, whatever school. Are they at middle school, high school? I don't know. Uh, 
I still middle school. Okay, so yeah, I, I can only assume that uh, the the halls are are stuffed with all of these little notes of uh, yeah, do you like me? Repeating yes, no, or maybe. Uh, but yeah, it, it was really cool to watch their friendship, especially since by the end, Sophia is clearly still wanting to be friends with Barbara, but she doesn't know what the best way to go about that is because she desperately wants Barbara to be honest with her. And being the age she is, she doesn't understand that Barbara is being as honest with her as she can because she isn't being honest with herself. Mm-hmm. So Sophia, Sophia knows Barbara, more about Barbara than Barbara does at this point. So Yeah, and Barbara has several moments of like anger and lashing out and and i think that's also a character trait that we don't tend to see very often in main characters because a lot of times main characters are like nearly perfect but barbara has a lot of these flaws with her where she i mean she um she hits the psychiatrist and then and she punches sophia at one more at one point in the movie and she it's uh, partially on, on accident because she thinks that it's the bully. She thinks that it's Taylor. But because but that puts a strain on their relationship. And and I think that's very real. And she like basically kind of scares Sophia off for a little while. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it, it was something that, like you said, you don't see very often, if at all. And it does take a while for them to... Um, basically reconcile. reconcile that even with Sophia being incredibly guilty about ending up showing Taylor all of this stuff and Taylor destroying it and feeling like she betrayed Barbara which she kind of did a little bit <laughs> but even with that she is still like unsure like should I be trying to help Barbara like should I take a step back and uh, again, there's no specific dialogue about that, but it's quite clear in these actresses that this is the stuff that they're going through. And I, I would say everyone did a phenomenal job on this yeah, film. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because, yeah, Sophie, uh, she doesn't fully know whether she, whether she will help Barbara the most by playing along with her fantasies or by trying to get her to face the reality or something in between yeah and it, and it was kind kind of cool like i i don't think i've seen too many films where you again it felt so natural just watching them that it was like oh okay yeah and she's like yeah giant sure yeah and you even really think that it's not until taylor really starts talking to her that you see any cracks in that that she she seemed to kind of take everything at face value until someone else says to her, like, this is weird. And she starts going, oh, you know, maybe it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, 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 really, I really did enjoy this film. And uh, uh, one last thing that I had written down as well, which I thought was really cool, on top of the visual being really stunning, the sound design in this film was brilliant. Like, did all of the the creaks and moans and stuff that make you think that there is just something huge there even though we know that uh, it's just the sounds of the forest that she's in or it's the sounds of the ocean or just waves crashing but they they were able to just layer it with 
just that extra noise that really made it feel like there was something else there and mm. and I thought that was just very well done I, I, I don't know if you uh, picked up on that during the film um no I, I don't think I really did um, although uh, I do think like besides just the like the CGI visuals I, I thought that the cinematography in general was really great I, I thought and they did a lot of interesting things with framing and I, and I like I didn't notice it too much while watching the movie but as I was going back like uh, through it to uh, get some uh, screenshots for my review uh, I I just like there were so many just shots in the movie that I thought was so well framed and just looked gorgeous and like all of her interesting little hideouts are filled with just these interesting weird little things and that's that it looks like she's created and then we have this train yard um it, it's just all all these locations are so fascinating and it's and it's like it's a combination of being like slightly otherworldly like there there's this fantasy element to them but it's also rooted in in like the mundane yeah yeah what yeah she being her age and you know, clearly her family doesn't have a huge amount of disposable income. Uh, she really does just make do with what she has access to. So it was it was fun to see all of the designs of that and everything that they were able to put in, knowing that there wasn't much. I mean, the I think probably the the biggest stretch for me was actually the the train yard. The idea that she was able to put together effectively a faraday cage but uh one designed to electrocute anything that came close to it uh it was like, okay this is something that i think you would need an engineering degree to get even close to <laughs> <laughs> uh but uh but yeah it was it was cool and, and every little area that you went to was done differently as well so the forest they were very minimal the stuff that she put together there the train yard uh, you had the the sticks in the ground with points coming out of them and the wires everywhere, and then you had the the netting traps at the beach. So it was really cool that every area that she went to had its own aesthetic, and she clearly used what was around her to create these traps for the giants. Mm-hmm. And it also, you know, it, it's something that you don't don't think about too much, but. Just the the sheer amount and and the elaborateness of it means that this this is something that she's really been dealing with for a long time. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's almost as if she probably immediately upon diagnosis just went headlong into this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I I can't imagine what it would be like. I have been very fortunate in my life that I've not had to deal with with anything of the nature. So. So it's something that I I don't wish upon anyone, and I I don't even begin to understand what she was actually going through. But yeah, this, I can I can sort of get the the want to protect yourself and the want to withdraw in that particular respect in the in the face of something as horrible as that. So yeah, I mean, like like I keep saying, this film I think it it does really well this idea and. Uh, and as I said, I would I would pretty much put it on par with 
a Montecles. So anyone that has seen a Montecles but has not seen this, I would I would definitely urge you to watch it. <laughs> uh, and anyone who's in America at the very least, it is on Hulu right now. So if you have Hulu, please <laughs> start it up right now. <laughs> uh, don't care where you are. Yeah, just start it up and watch it. Uh, do you have anything else that you wanted to specifically mention about the film? No, I, I think we covered it pretty well. I, I really enjoyed the movie as well. It's it's. Uh, I I always think it's great. Um, I always like movies like these because it's a great example of a comic book movie that's not a superhero movie because it is based on a graphic novel, but it's not what it's. I think it's still not what a lot of people think of whenever they think of comic book movie because I think that there's still a lot of correlation between superheroes and comic books, but you know, just like, uh, just like animation is a medium and not a genre. The same thing is true with comics and, and graphic novels that they're a medium and not, not a genre. And you can have comic books in, in any genre. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, it, I think it's one of those things of you've had, you've had uh, like in the, uh, the, the Japanese, culture you've got your anime and your manga there and manga have been going for so long and covering so many different genres and uh, stuff like that and then over here when you think of either a graphic novel or something like that you really do just think oh well it's comic books and then that's about it you don't think no it can cover a whole bunch of stuff and i think it really has only been i don't know the last decade or so that people have really begun to see the huge gambit of oh right it's not just that and uh, not saying that it's only been in the last 10 years that they've come out in other genres but i think it's really people are starting to get it now that oh yeah it, it's not just this one thing you can have everything and uh, it's really cool i think that th- this film came from a graphic novel covering this sort of material and mm-hmm. uh, and yeah i i definitely Definitely want to get my hands on it. I want to read through it and see how similar it is to the film and see what's changed, what what, what was different I in do the know that, uh, concept. I do, I do know that if you have the DVD, it has the first chapter of the, the graphic novel uh, available in digital format on that you can watch on your TV. Ah, okay, that's cool. Yeah, maybe I'll, uh, I'll look out for that then. <laughs> All right, well, uh, well I, I think we've pretty much covered that... Uh, very well. So, uh, so well, thank you for for coming back and for covering this with me. It, it was a lot of fun to watch, and I, I'm glad we were able to talk about it. Yeah, no problem. I'm I'm always happy to to talk comic book movies and and any other movies as well. Uh, uh, well, where can people get a hold of you then if they wish to do so? Well, the I think the two best places to find me are at my website, flightstightsandmovienights.com. And you can also reach me on Twitter where I'm at Bubba Wheat. Very succinct and to the point. I like it. <laughs> and uh, if anyone wants to get a hold of us, once again, we're Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Blokebusters. You can email us the blokes at blokebusters.com. You can go to blokebusters.com. Uh, we have our Patreon. You can also go to podbros.com and check out all of the fine podcasts on there. There are many, many, many to choose from, and they are all terrific. So there you go. Uh, so I think with all of that being said, I've been Paul. And I have been Bubbleweed. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Bye. In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Hang on a minute, lads. I've got a great idea. Uh...
Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.